Now go. I think you are now ready. Ready to hear what happened. 100 years ago. The words of guidance you have been hearing since your awakening are Princess Zelda and herself. Even now, as she works to restrain Ganon from within Hyrule Castle, she calls out for your help. And welcome back to the Comics to Console Crusade. This is the podcast where Pat, Joe, and I comb through my extensive yard sale acquired retro video game collection to discuss the best and worst of comic book oriented video games. And today's featured game is... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. Now, nice. yeah, yeah, we're going to... Cowabunga! Yeah, <laughs> fired up, I love it. We're going to talk about both the arcade version, and we're also going to talk a little bit about the version that was put on the Super Nintendo, where it was known as Turtles 4, Turtles in mm-hmm. Time. So we'll talk a little bit about both. Full disclosure, I told Joe, since we're returning after a break of almost two years, or a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, we had the lost episode. Basically, Joe and what's your name? Pat. That's right. Pat. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. It's my first time. <laughs> <laughs> Pat and I did this comics console crusade. We did Batman on the NES. We did about a year and a half ago. And then, man, we did like our first crusade miss on the Longbox Network. And the show just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And Pat mm-hmm. didn't have time yeah. to edit it. And, and we kept recording other shows. And it was getting lost. And so finally, I stepped up and figured out how to edit. And Pat gave me some tips and tricks. And so both of us are editing now so we're putting out the lost episodes so the first episode of comics console crusade finally mm-hmm. aired what just a few weeks ago and it met with a lot of positive reviews people were like i like this mm-hmm. concept i like the show i like what you guys are doing so we called joe said joe do you want to do another one maybe kind of a quarterly thing and he was down for it and so i said joe this time you picked the game man and joe thought about it for about four days <laughs> yep. i think he prayed about it i think he, <laughs> he talked to the pastor oh, what do you think i should do <laughs> through some chicken bones consulted a reader <laughs> and he came back and said teenage mutant ninja turtles turtles in time and i was like oh on super nest he's like arcade oh but no but there was a choice remember oh i was there torn was. there was what was the choice um punisher on any punisher yes it was between the punisher and teenage mutant ninja turtles and they're all good fun games and i said joe you gotta make decisions joe said all right we'll do turtles in time and then yep. he said i won't talk about the arcade and i said brilliant because it is a really cool arcade game we'll get into that but before we get started, let's officially meet the hosts of the show. We'll introduce one another and ask each other to describe Turtles in Time in three words or less. So, without further ado, I'm officially going to introduce my always excited co-host, Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Cristanos. Pat, if you would be so kind, give me the first three words that pop into your head when you think of Turtles in Time on either the arcade or the Super NES version. Bloated beanbag. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we don't have to call names here, man. Just answer the question. Wow. Oh, I thought you were calling me a name. I was. Oh, oh wait, no. I mean, that that's what I come to when... Well, they, you went with bloated beanbag? Yes. Now, isn't that part of the script in the game? Like, yes, they call is. Shredder that? Yes. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> 
Nice. Loaded bean bag. Jared's my shredder. Oh. I'm your super shredder. Keep that in mind. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> That's interesting choice. I got some other one, too, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering if you guys might take the other words that came to mind, but let's find out. So now I'd like to introduce our on-staff musical genius, Joe November. Joe, right. how, hello. Hey. <laughs> Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah. I don't even talk like that. <laughs> well, what would you describe in three words, the Turtles in Time Arcade? I'm actually going to refer to the Super NES for this three-word phrase, and I'm going to use Mode 7 Overload, because Mode 7 was a popular scrolling effect that was used in a lot of the Super Nintendo games, and they used this one religiously through the Super Nintendo version with the transition between the stages with the turtles swinging through like time and things like that, and the ability to throw the enemies into the screen so it's all in your face. It was definitely uh, Mode 7 that they used a ton to facilitate the gameplay of the game and the graphics. I agree. Yeah, I noticed that too. And that was a, one of the big differences between that and the arcade. I, yes. I was like, they're really doing the, that whole mode. I didn't know it was called Mode 7. Well, I, I kind of knew, but I hadn't thought of that in years until you said it just now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah, Mode 7. I never knew it was called that, so what, very what interesting. Did you call I, it? I don't know, like throwing the guy at the screen. <laughs> Oh. Zip it, zip it, pow, pow. Yeah. <laughs> Side scroller. Uh, okay, okay. Button, yeah, yeah. But mashing. It's kind of like um, on the PC video gaming side, it's the Unreal Engine that they use for like a ton of great games. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar to that. They use that same technology, but this was, you know, back in the early 90s for console games. Oh, okay. Very interesting. I guess it's my turn. <laughs> and now I'm going to turn that same question to my old friend Jared, the yard sale artist. It's a prescription for danger. Please describe Turtles in Time, either arcade or the Super Nintendo, using only three words. I will pick up the slack here and go into the arcade. And if you'll allow me a hyphenated word, I will do it in two words. Oh, my hyphenated word is going to be multiplayer. And my second mm-hmm. word is going to be perfection. It is multiplayer perfection in the arcade. Yep. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. And when we start talking about, you know, what's our favorite thing and least favorite thing, I'm going to touch upon that point. Mm, I look forward to being touched by you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know yet. I do. Just getting to know Joe, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, speaking of our boy Joe November, let's throw it over to Joe to take a look at the specs of Turtles in Time, both arcade and SNES versions, in a segment that we like to call All Your Specs Are Belong to Us. How are you, gentlemen? All your base are belong to us. You are on the way to destruction. Let's talk about release dates. So for the arcade, it came out in 1991. And then for the Super NES, it was released in Japan first in July of 1992. And then they decided to release it to the United States in August of that same year. And then Europe got it later that year in November. The publisher is Sunsoft and the developer is Konami. Uh, and they both made tons of great games. The game type is they called beat up for the players, uh, the arcade. You had up to four players you could play at once. The Super Nintendo, you can only play two at a time. So those are the specs. And now we're going to go back to Jared, where he'll use his yard sale to eBay skills for a segment we called Cached Memory. Money, 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 money. Money, money, money. 
Thank you, Joe. Yes, I use my yard sale to eBay skills to go onto the eBay and look at the value of this game. And as usual, I will do it in three, well, this time four sections. I will tell you what the value of it is when it's loose, just having basically the cartridge, what it's like when you have the whole game complete. We're talking box and manual and then factory sealed, still in the shrink wrap. And our bonus fourth one is what it would cost you if you tried to track down an actual stand-up arcade one from, as Joe said, 1991. So, the loose cartridge still does pretty well in the secondary market. It's about a $40 game. Wow. Wow. Jared found his at a yard sale for a quarter. (laughs) Oh, snap. (laughs) So, (laughs) yes. I once found the greatest bag of Super Nintendo games at a yard sale, and the lady was like, they're a quarter piece, and it had Chrono Trigger Super Ooh. Mario RPG. What? Ooh, jackpot. I know. I was oh. just like, I took them all and it burned her house down. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't even know, lady. You don't know. <laughs> it was great. So oh. if you have one that's complete, you've got a cartridge, you've got the manual, you've got the box, all the bric-a-brac. You're looking at about $150. If you've got one still factory sealed, like you got it for Christmas and you're like, I'll get around to playing it. And you never did. (laughs) Wow. Shrink wrap on it. You're looking at around $800. Wow. Wow. Those sealed collectors, man, they're willing to pay a pretty penny. And this game is very, very popular and well thought of. So holy cowabunga. <laughs> you want to talk holy cowabunga, bringing it home. If you want to get an actual arcade four player stand up, I did some digging, looked around. Of course, they're very hard to come by, but there still is a buyer's and seller's market for those old arcade machines. You're looking at around $3,000 for the Ninja Jeez. Turtles four player. Huh. I think arcade games, they're making a comeback. There's people that are making like their own custom stand up arcade kind of console things and then installing their own games in those and making yeah. the arcade experience. Yeah. Well, I will tell you in my yard sales of all the years I've been doing it, which is gosh, 18 years now, 19 years of yard sailing. I've only come across one arcade machine. It was a mortal combat machine. Oh, wow. I did <laughs> buy it. Cause they were only asking 50 bucks for it. So okay, I, no. mm-hmm. the cabinet was a little rough, but the game worked. So I bought it and I took it home and I it was in my garage for a while. We played it, but I never really could find a good spot for it. This was before I had my building built out back. If I still had it, I'd still own it. But then things got difficult. Cause like, okay, I'd like to sell it, make the profit get it out of here but it's hard to find a buyer because it's got to be someone basically local you can't ship something that big yeah yeah, so I basically true. cost that much just to ship it. Yeah, I basically did a bunch of research and found out the real valuable part is that like there's like a motherboard in there that basically is the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, and so I pulled that out and sold that for a couple hundred bucks. And then, like you were saying, Joe, a local guy came and bought the cabinet, even though it was rough. He was something of a carpenter, and he was doing exactly what you're saying. He's going to smooth it out, put some new decals on it, and load it with whatever games he wanted. So uh-huh. I oh, sold the cabinet for like twenty five bucks, yeah, uh, just to get it out of my garage but the little board the game itself sold for almost like 150 or 200 dollars. so there was profit to be made and it was fun having mortal Kombat in my garage for a while that's cool did you ever find out what that guy did with the cabinet you know i don't but i could because he owned a car stereo place up the road in montgomery mm-hmm. i should stop by sometime because his ultimate goal was to load it so that his customers could play games while they were waiting for the car stereo to be installed oh, oh that's cool i should go up there and he's like yeah i'm just gonna do it like a free play thing and they'll be able to select from a bunch of different games and it'll keep him entertain while we're installing the car stereo. I thought, oh, that's a pretty good business model idea. Yeah, that's very cool. Nice, That's nice. Up. And now that I've taken us down a weird alley, <laughs> <laughs> now that we've got all the pertinent info hashed out, let's take a quick podcast break and we'll come back to talk about the gameplay of Toidles in Time. 
Nice. Nice New York uh, bebop from Rocksteady accent. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, can I with it then? Okay, okay. Here we go. <clears throat> Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor, the Captain America. Wow, being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, uh-huh. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the anime before we had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not the King Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you. And welcome back from the break. We hope you enjoyed that promo from a friend of the show. Now let's talk about the gaming experience of Turtles in Time. We'll discuss the game in the following categories. Graphics, game design, enjoyability, favorite thing about the game, least favorite thing about the game. And we'll wrap it up and give our final verdicts and rate the game on a scale of 1 to 10. So let's get to it. The first topic is graphics. Joe, since this is your recommended game, we'll let you go first. Talk to us about the graphics of Turtles in Time. The graphics, I'm going to talk about the arcade version. So the graphics for that time frame were just the ultimate of video gaming at that time. It was bright. It was colorful. There was a lot of things going on. It was recognizable content with the turtles when stuff was flying around. It was cartoonish, but it was meant to be so, but it was done very, very well. It was easy on the eyes to look at and the art was very good. The backgrounds were pretty cool. It was just, it was a great graphical game for the time period. I completely agree. And I maybe jump the gun a little bit. I'll toss it to Pat. Maybe you want to talk about this, but I want to give credit where it's due. When they port a game that looks that good on arcade to Super Nintendo, a lot of times when something gets ported, there's a lot of loss, but I will stand up for the Super Nintendo game and say it still looks pretty good. For a Super Nintendo game, I would agree. It stands on its own. Had you not been like... I didn't even know this was an arcade game. You would have been like, oh, this game is pretty dope. Yeah. Wait, wait, oh, yeah. People Pat. say dope back in 1992? <laughs> I, I think that's where it started. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's probably what they did. <laughs> Pat, what do you think, man? Oh, I totally agree. I was looking at it from the Super Nintendo version, and it definitely, graphic-wise, held up. I remember playing it in the arcade a lot here and there, but I definitely on the Nintendo, on the Super Nintendo, graphics were just really, really nice. And, you know, it had that, like Joe said, it had that cartoon feel to it, which is great because everybody, it's iconic, you know it. It had those vibrant colors, and those colors stood out on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jared? Same as you guys. Both versions are good. You can get spoiled by the arcade version because it looks so polished. But again, sure. the port, the Super Nintendo looks great. And like Joe said, if you never played the arcade version, you just got the cartridge for your SNES, you'd be like, this game is dope, mm-hmm. as the kids yeah. said. <laughs> it's a good game for a sleepover. It is. Yeah. We should have yeah. a sleepover. A bunch of guys sleeping over. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Got your night shirts and your bowler hats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, I got them for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that creepy note, let's talk about game design. The overall design of the game, how it played, factoring in the graphics and the gameplay itself. Pat, what do you think about just the overall design of the game? I like it. The design was really cool, I think. You know, it's a, your typical side-scrolling game. And you guys call it a what, beat-em-up game? I guess I would call it like a button masher kind of a, mm-hmm. you know, you're just hitting buttons and jumping mm-hmm. and doing all that around as you're side-scrolling to get to the bosses at, you know, towards the right. Mm-hmm. Um, being it's Turtle in Time, once they started going into time, it got a little awkward, <laughs> a little weird, but it was all right. You can't expect like a really extravagant story from the arcade port to Super Nintendo, but not bad. I totally like it. I think it's, you know, even one or two player, you can play the game just fine. It's a good, you know, what, 40, 30 minute if you're playing really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's a good time waster. And that was one of the things that people who reviewed it would say that the game doesn't take that long to beat. Some people thought that that was a negative, that, you know, it was one of the shorter games that you can actually play and beat. But other people were just like, you know, we just enjoy the less than an hour it takes to to, to go through the game or maybe a couple of hours yeah. if you're taking your time. Yeah. And if you had a, a buddy with you, man, you could just, just sit there and having fun together playing it. Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't yep. complain about the length of a beat-em-up because a beat-em-up is a beat-em-up. I mean, yeah. it's a time waster. You just sit down and play it. You, you need to kill 45 minutes or so to beat the game, then go ahead. Yeah. Because if you're yeah. playing a two and a half hour beat-em-up, that's tiresome. That is tiresome. Yeah. <laughs> just like, why am I still doing this? It's just a grind, and nobody wants to do that for a beat-em-up. You want instant gratification for making sure that the enemies die so you can proceed to the next level and get to the boss. Was the arcade a harder version because, you know, it wanted that money? That's a good question. I would imagine that they probably made it a little bit easier on the Super Nintendo because it was a console game, and they didn't want people smashing their... <laughs> hey, hey, throwing their console at the screen because they're dying too much. <laughs> 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 so my guess is that it's probably a little bit easier, you know, obviously with the arcade they want to make sure that you know you only got three lives and if you want more you got to pay up yeah well it sounds like we you've got a nice little segue just sort of the enjoyability of the game Joe, what do you think? We're going to lead some discussion on just the enjoyability. What would you think? Yeah, one more tying into game design that I think also ties into the enjoyability. I mean, I love the the side-scrolling aspect of the games, but there was one particular level that I did not like, and that was... 
you're scrolling forward or oh, yeah. the the future one it's a future one and i think it's like the, the neon, neon night, night riders, riders. yes neon, neon night, night riders. riders i noticed for the super nintendo version that it just seemed like oh as soon as the, the sprites get close to the screen that's when you can punch them and that's all you're waiting for and it's like you can't mm-hmm. even enjoy the background you can't even enjoy the fact that hey that you're moving in a different direction because it you know it's a jarring thing to once you're sc- side scrolling and then all of a sudden you're going forward like oh it's something different but it only does that just for one level and then i think there's a couple of levels where you're going up like in an elevator and yep. fighting bad guys and stuff like that i guess either they could have done that better or maybe done without it but that part i did not like but the rest of the gameplay was pretty awesome you know being able to utilize things around the screen that you can destroy the enemies with which i'll talk a little bit more about least favorite thing uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, the fact that you can kind of use things for different uh, around the screen to uh, affect the gameplay and knock out several people at once is pretty cool it's a pretty cool effect when you time it right and it looks even better i think on the arcade than it does on the super nintendo yeah the arcade did not have that i think we would call mode seven level of the neon where you basically going forward yeah. Instead of left or right, you're basically going forward. That wasn't even in the arcade version. That level on the arcade version was another left or right scroller. Yeah. So yeah, like they the surfing changed one. Thing. Not the sewer surfing one. Those were about the same, but the future surfing one. Yeah. In the yeah. arcade, it was still just left or right, like sewer surfing. Whereas okay. the Super Nintendo, I appreciate the fact they tried something different to mm-hmm. give it some variety. But like Joe said, the level just kind of falls flat ultimately. But Pat, what do you think about the enjoyability of the games? This is an enjoyable game, and I could definitely see sitting around with friends on a weekend night and just playing through this and having fun you know it's a good like i said a good sleepover game to have around and what would you order for dinner for that sleepover probably some some steak and some no no i know pizza (laughs) (laughs) you know you're sitting around with your pizza and you got your your everybody's got their own two liter yeah no no it should be chicken wings that would be awesome (laughs) clean up the controllers (laughs) well it sounds like we all enjoyed it it's got a pretty good enjoyability and i agree with pat i think this is a great couple of buddies on the couch got some pizza or some this is is, is a buddy game this is a buddy game and of course obviously the same way in the arcade with the four player Mm -hmm. so Let's talk about what our favorite things about the game were. Pat, what was your favorite thing about the game? I like seeing the turtles. I like seeing the characters. And it's been a while since I've gone through this game. So I was like, oh, yeah, I need to do a little more investigation on the turtles again. And just seeing all these wonderful characters that are there and that you can beat up and have fun with. Joe? My favorite thing about this game, I'm, I'm going to talk about the arcade version. It basically just deals with co-op. When you have arcade games where you have multiple people playing together for a common goal, even if you're just, you know, you throwing quarters at the same time, you guys feel like you're doing something together and it could be total strangers and you're, mm-hmm. you're connected. You're connected in some way into a greater goal, which I think is very cool. So I love the co-op portion of this game. It brought out a, a lot of great things about the gameplay play, what you can do with other players, what you can do against the enemies and things like that. A great time overall with games like these. I remember playing this game, the first Turtles game. I think I fell in love with that. It was like I just could not stop playing that game just because it was so fun to play with other people. Uh, It was a great, great game to play with others. 
And Jared, what's your favorite thing? I might cheat and take two things. One is I like the little details that they add in the background of the game. You'll get Shredder on a screen. You'll get yeah. the giant robot body of Krang shooting blasters at you early on in the game. There's a level where you see the body of Krang that's going to be the boss you fight, and he's flying across the background as you get to fight mm-hmm. him. I thought mm-hmm. those little details were really neat. And just as a cheater, sort of second favorite thing, and Pat kind of hit on this too, and you too, Joe, to some extent. There's a nostalgia factor with this that just is through the roof with me. You see the turtles, you remember the cartoon, you remember the time, and we're going to talk nostalgia later in the show, but it just warms the cockles of my heart. I want to add one more thing, and and I know we're going to get to it too, but the music in here is awesome. Yeah, I I definitely have a ton of great notes to talk about with the music. Look forward to... Well, let's be a bummer before we score it, and let's talk about our least favorite thing about the game. Just as a reminder to our audience, if you can't tell already... We like these games. We love these games. Well, maybe sometime we'll do a show about a game that's not so good, but it's all in good fun. So we're just nitpicking and having a little fun here. So mm-hmm. when we talk about least favorite things, we're just being a little bit honest, but don't get bummered out. We like these games. So with mm-hmm. that in mind, Joe, what's your least favorite thing about the game? It's the exact same thing that I talked about as my favorite thing. So when you're playing <laughs> co-op, <laughs> you can get in each other's way, especially when it comes to stealing the pizza. Oh. Uh, Uh, I hated that. Somebody grabbed the pizza when you know you needed it, and they're like, I just got a couple of blips of health. I should be fine. Let me just go ahead and grab that pizza. And meanwhile, you're down to two. You're like, strategy, dude. (laughs) Where's your damn strategy? It's like, are you kidding me? And I can't remember if when you're hitting the barrels and they explode, if they affect you or not, or if it's just the enemies that they affect you. Do you guys remember? I don't 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 remember. But I just remember the pizza thing was definitely, uh, ah, that part sucked. (laughs) Just got like mental images of kids he's played with in the day. (laughs) That's my pizza. If I see that down I'm going to beat his ass. <laughs> Pat, while Joe simmers down, <laughs> Pat, what was your least favorite thing about either the arcade or the Super Nintendo Turtles, or maybe it was in both? Joe brings up a really good point that I didn't really think about, but man, that could be really frustrating. But I'm going to say the least favorite thing, I didn't like the, I called them the football stone guys. Mm, gosh, they were a pain uh, in the butt. The warriors, the stone warriors. I believe that's what they called them. Well, the funny part is, is that at the credits, when you look at them, they go through each of the characters, and it looks like a bad 90s sitcom, like they're getting the action and then they pause it yeah. and, and I think it lists the name of that particular enemy at that oh, time I must have but it's spelled one. like W-O-R-R-I-O-R-S <laughs> Warriors <laughs> <laughs> that's weird <laughs> Yeah, so it didn't translate well from, I don't know, Japanese to English, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) Well, Jared, what about you, least favorite? I'm going to talk specifically about the Super Nintendo version. There is a level early in the game. It might be level one or two. I can't remember, but they were in love with the Mode 7 graphics. And (laughs) as someone pointed out earlier, you had the ability to grab a guy and throw him towards the screen. Mm -hmm. There was a part where you had to fight Shredder by specifically throwing guys into the screen. Yes. Mm -hmm. I suck at throwing guys into the screen. Like, I can't do it. And I just remember that was the hardest part to me. And I would even like cheat and go get my Game Genie. I have a Super Nintendo Game Genie. And it would still take me like 45 minutes to throw enough guys at that screen. It just drove me bonkers. Yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah, gosh. They're like, we're going to use this mode. And oh, let's use this as a strategy to beat the boss. Yeah. Final clever. boss. It's clever. 
whatever, but I just, yeah, but you, we're, you're throwing a guy at him. But could you do it? Was this hard for everybody well, else or is it just me? Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, the timing, you had to be right on with the timing. And if you weren't careful, if you were distracted, whatever, then you're just pressing the buttons out of sync and you're not doing it correctly and it gets frustrating. Mm, well, that's what I was doing because... And in fact, to prep for the show, even though I've got the game out in the building, I went lazy and I watched the playthrough on YouTube. And this mother is throwing guys <laughs> at will. Don't worry, I'll edit that. But <laughs> this guy is throwing guys at will. And I'm like, how do you do that? What wizardry is this? Practice, practice. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into scores. Let's rate this game on a scale of 1 to 10. And once again, for the audience, 5 is average. I know a lot of scoring things say, well, if you get less than 7, then it's not even good. No, no. Around here, 5 means it's average, which means it's okay. So don't get hung up on that. So 5 just means it's okay. 10 means it's a dang near perfect game. 1 means we don't like it. So score this bad boy out, Pat. I am going to go above average. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this game 7. Going 7. Going 7, oh. yeah. Do you have separate scores? scores for arcade versus super nintendo or you just feel like it's a seven either way um you know i'll, I'll go eight mm. on the arcade because of the graphics and the playability with you know three other people yeah being able to play all four turtles is pretty yeah. cool what turtle would you choose Ooh, good oh. question i know my answer yeah, but what do you think joe uh i'd always go with donatello because of the reach same. Yeah. If I could be Donatello, I would go with Leonardo. He's my favorite turtle overall. Yeah. yeah. I'd go. I'd like Leo with the sword. I'm always a two-sworded kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. You can walk down the street with two swords. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> yeah. You know, I, I have no problem picking him and throwing him across the street. <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> Gotta get that timing. <laughs> Shell shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, what do you got? One to ten, and you could do two different scores. Like, like we yeah, talked. this is definitely a two varying scores for me because of the different gameplay types for this particular game. I give the arcade version a much higher score. I'm giving it an eight and a half. Uh, I, you I just love everything on the about Longbox it. Crusade Network. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. I don't know how I feel about yeah. that. We frown upon halvesies on this network, man. Halvesies. <laughs> Better not let that out. That oh, one's going to be all over. Be that. mad if he hears this. <laughs> Oh, no. (laughs) But just to make it more mad, let's let it slide. Eight and a half it is, Joe. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Which is ironic because I was giving it a seven and a half for the Super Nintendo. (laughs) Uh, I think we got a new rule here, Pat. Only Joe can give halvesies on the Long Box Network. (laughs) I was not aware of the rule, so that is my fault. (laughs) No, I love it. I love the fact that we've got this one guy who gets away with it. Oh, goodness. But yeah, those are my scores. So you went eight and a half arcade, seven and a half on uh, home console. Yeah. All right. I'm going to be very similar. The graphics and you could only play two players versus four. Yeah, that two player thing does hurt the home console version. I would give the home console version a uh, I'm torn between a seven and an eight. You know, if I was anybody else, I might go 7.5. I'll give it a nostalgia bump. I'll give it an eight for the Super Nintendo. And I'm going to give the arcade a solid nine that's a dang near perfect game in my opinion oh, you see it you just like it's just like oh you just want to go put quarters in it and play <laughs> you hear it while it's waiting for somebody to play go cowabunga cowabunga <laughs> it's calling to me but that was the thing you would always hear is just a cowabunga <laughs> you know, all the time <laughs> it, it was one of those things too in the arcade where like they would have little catchphrases if something happened to them like you get caught in a bubble you'd be like does anyone have a pen and stuff like that yeah. you're like oh that's cute and clever until like the 14th time they, yeah. like, I was like shut up shut up <laughs> 
Yep, yep, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have our scores. It sounds like we're between seven and nine range. So as you can tell, folks at home, this is a solid game. Enjoy mm-hmm. it and have fun with it. But you know what? It seems like we forgot something. I know what it is. Let's throw it over to Joe November, our on-staff musical genius, to talk about the music in a segment called Superconductor. Well, thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. I have a lot of stuff to talk about for this superconductor section. And forgive me if I run over some different things because it's going to be a little long. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's going to be a little a long. Whole, so a show think, unto itself. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the music. The original composers for the game's soundtrack were a couple of uh, Japanese fellas. Let's see if I'm going to butcher these names. There was Mutsuhiko Izumi, who is a veteran in video game music. And I I think he has his own band. He's done a lot of different games. So he worked with Konami, so he did like Metal Gear, Two, Solid Snake, different games like that. And the other guy, I think he worked on the NES version, was Harumi Ueko, who he also produced a lot of games during that time. And he did stuff like Gradius Three. He's on Metal Gear Two, Solid Snake, Tiny Toon Adventures. Even worked on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters game. He was sound producer for that particular game. So those guys, they came up with the melodies for this particular game as well as the soundtrack for the the arcade. So very, very talented individuals. There is a place where you can download all of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle soundtracks. The website it is downloads.khinsider.com and that website has not only video game soundtracks but like anime soundtracks and different, maybe even obscure movie soundtracks as well that you can just download. You can sign up and pay like $19 a year or something like that, but you have unlimited access to all these different uh, original soundtracks and things that you probably wouldn't find in the States. There would be more in Europe and Japan and things like that. But yes, you can download all these cool Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle soundtracks and listen to the original soundtracks of these games, both arcade and NES. So the internet is a powerful tool. The people who post stuff like, like that are just awesome. They also release kind of like an official kind of like all-star compilation album soundtrack for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And this was sponsored by Konami and it was called the Konami All-Stars 1993 Music Station of Dreams. And it was published by King Records in 1992. So they definitely wanted to make some money off of this game. It felt like there was enough musical star power to make some money off of that. Hmm. Let's talk about remixes. My go-to favorite website for any video game remixes is is overclockedremix.org you can just type in ocremix.org and search Turtles in Time, and you will get a ton of different remixes that some very talented individuals come up with. Most of these, they're in the rock genre because it's a very fast-paced game, driving beats, driving drums, makes great fodder for guitar licks and solos and things like that. So the majority of them sound just like that. It's just whatever the artist interpreted that they wanted you to hear from the interpolation of a particular theme. Just some great music overall. And let me talk about some of the favorite levels that I liked playing through the game from what I remember and then reviewing it through YouTube just to make sure that I didn't miss anything. So the sewer surfing music, I, I really, really liked that particular music. I believe that was scene three in the Super NES version. Yeah. 
And then when you go into the Neon Knight Riders, the level that I didn't like as far as the gameplay, absolutely love the music. Mm-hmm. I thought the music so awesome. Kind of reminded me of a Mario Kart game in some aspects, but uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And the tonality and just kind of the motion and the feel of those particular levels, the music, it just worked very, very well. So that is my music segment. Yeah, I would say that was probably my biggest complaint overall is that all the tunes were so rock driven. They all started to blend together for me for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will agree with you. I think the futuristic one stood out a little more to me because yeah. I, I was doing my homework there's a guy on YouTube who did a playlist of all the music so I listened to it straight through and after about three or four of those rock <laughs> tunes I was like okay I got it yeah but it's still very high energy and if it's your kind of music then yeah totally yeah you. you know that classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle theme you know that's pretty rocky kind of you know yeah you're yeah. right you're right Okay, so that is all for the Superconductor musical segment. Let's throw it over to Pat to lead us into discussion on how well the game captures the essence of the comic book in a segment called Reformatted. All right. Well, thanks, Joe. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the comic. So have either of you heard of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the comic book? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay, good. We're starting out well. I have a follow-up question for that. Who amongst us knew about the Turtles comic before it kind of got picked up by Archie Comics and the cartoon exploded? Because I really did Yes. You did. Yes, I did. I have to point out, it was given to me by a really good buddy of mine, Brad Smotherman, who was really into obscure comics. And this was like sixth grade. And I remember sitting with him in class and he had this big book and he showed it to me. He was like, yeah, this turtles and like there was no color to it it was just i think it was black and white Mm -hmm. then correct and i was like what is this and it was very graphic violent Mm -hmm. i was like man this is this is cool who would have thought the turtles would be kind of an awesome thing to talk about but uh when he showed it to me way back then i was like yeah i remember that and then a couple years later that's when the cartoon came out and then just kept rolling on with the different mediums for turtles well the original comic the first issue came out in 1984 in may of 19 1984 on or Mirage Press. It was done by Kevin Eastman and Peter Lard. Yes. That was really cool. I remember seeing it in the like Walden bookstore too. As Joe had mentioned it, it was a black and white, really gritty and neatly done, I think. I really enjoyed it, those early issues. And then later on when they went to the Archie and to the cartoon which was started in 1987 was when the mm-hmm. TV series came out along with you know the toy line and all that. So a big difference from from the original to the more kid-friendly, I should say. Mm-hmm. But I got more of a heart for the original than where they all wore the red bandana, you know, the red, mm-hmm. and they weren't color-coded. Yeah. Uh, I still liked the cartoon, watched it 
during when I was younger. I was getting kind of older during the time, but you know, we're all still kids at heart. Otherwise, I guess we wouldn't be talking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you experience the black and whites before the big boom from the cartoon, Pat? Yes, a little bit. I got oh, a few okay. here and there, and that was it. I did they... not. I was living in Germany in 87, so I had, I guess, some opportunity when I was younger before I moved there from the States, but I I knew nothing about the Turtles until the cartoon hit, and I loved the Archie series, and I was probably in high school before See, I found out there was older stuff, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna get that older stuff, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, this is so different. Great. Yeah. It's earth-shattering for me. Yeah. I don't think I've read any of the Archie. I've I really been like grabbing it. them here and there through bins. Uh, to it's me, got was a it... huge nostalgia factor for me, because yeah. I just loved it. Was it more, I, mean, I want to say childish, but... It was more in tune with the cartoon. Cartoon, okay. Yeah. And I gotta be honest with you, I like that era better. That might be heresy amongst comic book fans, because... Oh, I know. Everybody's I, got... I respect the originals. You have to respect the original yeah. stuff. That's where it started, but I like them better with more distinct personalities, the different mm-hmm. colors, so it's easy to tell who's who. That's where I got on board, but I still respect the original stuff. You know, not reading the Archies, so I was kind of wondering, you know, if I went back there, do you think I would enjoy? Is there stories going on? Are there continuations? Is there... Yes. That's there, what I kind of like. There are big story arcs and continuations. The first few actually follow the cartoon. They're sort of adaptations of the cartoon, but then they branch off into original stories. They get really good. Knowing you the way I do, I think you'd like it because you like Gru and you like Asagi Ujimbo. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's in that kind of vein where you're not taking it too seriously. I mean, it, it ain't Frank Miller's Daredevil. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Although yeah. the two are connected. It was mm-hmm. hinted at the same ooze that created Daredevil got in the sewers and created the turtles. <laughs> What? Yeah. Well, and, and they say that when they did it, it was kind of meant to parody a couple of the popular comics in the 1980s. One was Daredevil, mm-hmm. New Mutants, there Dave Sims, Cyberus, and Ronan. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you would like them, Pat. They are lighter fare. They are a little more okay. pretty. But what I do like about it is they have a small adult appeal because they do have broader story arcs. Like, okay. you've probably seen some covers where Raphael is completely black. Like, mm-hmm. he's got his everything about him is color black. And you're like, ah. How did that happen? I remember liking that story arc. And they include characters okay. like Manta Ray and Leatherhead and those kind of guys. So I really like them. But again, you hear me getting excited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a no, that's good. Here. That's good. Because uh, I want to go back and look at some of that stuff again. You know, even the newer stuff that, you know, Turtles have just been reinventing themselves, reinventing themselves. And they just continue to stay around, which I is a, it's a good property. Staying power, man. Staying yeah. power. T-U-R-T-L-E power. Yeah. Even with some movies that were, eh, you know, but we ain't talking about the movies. But let's get back to the comic. So, since we all know where everybody is at with their comic reading, let's go ahead and see, did this environment feel like the comic book environment? Go ahead, Jared. Yes to the Archie comics. No to the originals. Mm-hmm. Yes. And really, I definitely agree with really, that. really, 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 really yes to the cartoon. This is a okay. cartoon tie-in. We bring it on a comics console crusade because it's based on a comic book property. And again, it's very like the Archie comics. So mm-hmm. yes to that. And then like, Joe, go ahead and sound off on the original stuff comparison. Yeah, the, with the originals, it was definitely, like we said, a lot grittier. It was a lot more violent. It wasn't very kid-friendly. I think they even cursed a little bit. It was a long time ago, so I'm trying to re- recall. But yeah, they used some vulgar language on huh. a couple of things. I think you're right. I think I remember that, but it's been a while. So what do you guys think of the villains? Do the villains make sense? 
I remember that there were some villains that I just wasn't aware of. I think either they were tied to the show or tied to the movies. Because I do think there was some links to the second Turtles movie, Secret of the Ooze. So there were some that I did not recognize, but most of them were easily recognizable. Krang, Shredder, Bebop, and Rocksteady. Back to Stockman. Yeah, who reminded me of the fly, like (laughs) Goldblum. <laughs> it's funny how they reinvent because Baxter Stockman had like this robotic armor in a more recent version of Turtles. And as I was watching this playthrough to prep for the show today, my four-year-old was watching it and he said, who's that? I said, that's Baxter Stockman. He goes, but where's his armor? I'm like, well, they change over the years, son. Interesting history of the Turtles. It really is. And how things have changed and, you know, you know, they reinvent themselves for that time. They've yeah. never fallen off. I've got a 12-year-old who was yeah. into Turtles when he was little and still kind of is. I got a four-year-old who's into this newer version. You're right, Pat. I would say Turtles is rapidly moving into the same league as like Scooby-Doo. That cat has been hanging on yeah, since the 60s. True. And mm-hmm. Turtles yeah. ain't going anywhere either. They have found a formula that reinvents with tweaks here and there that just, it's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. They really yeah. tapped into something. But to answer your question, I do think the villains made a ton of sense. Again, I'm super familiar with the Archie universe and a lot of it was in there. Yeah. And I was specifically going to ask about Tokar and Razor. I want to say those two guys are just from that movie, that Turtles 2 movie. My memory isn't good enough, but when I saw them come on, I was like, I don't remember them in the old cartoon or the comic. I could be wrong, but I was like, I think those were the guys that they made with the Secret of the Ooze. So You know what? I'm cheating, but I I just pulled that up and you are correct. Oh, wow. It's from yeah, Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Yep. Good job. The original characters from that movie. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get back to talking some comics here again. And I think some of the other questions I got, you guys have kind of already answered it mm-hmm. in one way or another. So, you know, the look of it, I, you guys continue to say that either it's an Archie look or it's a cartoon look to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's get to does it make you feel like you're the character when you're playing it, Joe? Oh, yes, definitely. The playability and the distinction between the four turtles. They each have their own style. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was very distinctive. It draws different people to particular turtles to make them call them, okay, this is my favorite one because he plays like this, or he has this weapon, or he has that weapon. And that's cool to me. So I'm just going to play with that one. I always envy the people who loved Raphael because <laughs> I thought I yes. thought it was the stupidest yes. <laughs> weapon to have. And it was close melee range combat type thing for all the characters. But you didn't not have any reach with Raphael. That's why I love Donatello. But you, but you see, I think he, uh, Raphael, is, he's a little more armored kind of guy, so he can take a beating very well. <laughs> Interesting. Great point, sir. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jared? I definitely feel like I'm playing the Archie comic or the cartoon, especially in that arcade version. Like we said, you got four people, four turtles. God bless the guy who got Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's favorite turtle is Raphael, so she's the one that would pick him. Why does she choose Raphael? Do you know? Uh, because, she said? Yeah, we've talked about it before. Cause this is, is this his this, attitude? Yeah, this is what our romance is based on, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Leonardo <laughs> guy. I grew up a Michelangelo guy because I like the fun guy. But as I got older, I, I went Leonardo because, as you guys know, I teach 
leadership classes in my day job and leadership of your peers is the toughest leadership. So I respect the heck out of Leonardo for taking that hard job. Plus, you know what? Two swords, right, Pat? Yeah, two, two swords. swords. Yep. So I like Leo, but she, when Turtles came out that age, when we were, gosh, we were probably 12 or 13 when it really hit big. And she just liked that attitude. You know, everybody, Raphael is a big default favorite because he had that tough, wise cracking attitude. So yeah, she liked his tough, wise cracking attitude. Whereas it always kind of grated on my nerves because he was always challenged. Leonardo. And I'm like, yeah. dude, back off. back off, man. But you know, it's different personalities making the world go around. They had to move the plot along with some conflict. So that's how it usually is. <laughs> yep. You got to have the conflict. Mm-hmm. What about you, Pat? I definitely think I like playing as a character too. I just remember I'm a Leo guy. So I like the swords. Although, you know, Scorpio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw that one coming. Toot, <laughs> <laughs> toot. Mikey and Don, uh, you know, Roth's kind of, he's that cool kid, you know, you want to be like, but. Bad boy. Yeah, he's the bad boy. <laughs> that he was. Well, I think now that we've got some comic to the game comparisons all figured out, let's take another quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, we'll talk about our memories of this game and bring the show home. Hey, Jared, I have a question. What's up? Well, I've been a part of the Longbox Crusade for about a year and a half now. Yeah, well, that's not a question, man. I know, I'm getting to it. That was called Build Up. Like I was saying, I've been with the Longbox Crusade and I have gone out and represented the show faithfully. That's still not a question. I'm still building up. I was wondering, could I be a part of the official promo? There's this great promo for the podcast that airs across podcast land, and it has Pat Sampson, the founder of the show, you, the art cell artist, and your brother, Jason, a.k.a. Weasel Skull. But it doesn't have me, Delvin Williams, the Dark Web. Could you ask the guys if they would let me be a part of the promotion since you were the one who invited me onto the show? Well, not to be a Mr. Quick to correct, but that was at least two questions. Still, I guess I'll ask. Let me go talk to the guys, and you stay here. Okay, great. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Hey, what's up, Jared? What's up, Jared? I have a question. Delvin's been with us for like a year and a half. That's not a question. Uh, yeah, I know. It's called Build Up. Hey, can we finally include him on the promo? It's the least we can do. He doesn't know that we're getting paid yet. And he never will. I mean, do we need him? After all, we already have the Longbox Crusade. And I provide awesome synopsis and insight on Crusader Chronicles. And I host Saturday Matinee Theater and also provide these nuts jokes. Hey, I do that. Me too. So we're fine as it is. What does Delvin do? We should just let him go. Wait, he hosts Transformers Chronicles. You should know that, Pat. You're on that show. So what do you say? Can we keep him? Uh, Fine. Let's do it. Let's do it live. We could have done this with him in the room. It would have made more sense. Why is he outside? I think we were doing a bit. Okay, let's do this. The Longbox Crusade Podcast Network is the place to be if you like deep dives in the comics of yesteryear with the Longbox Crusade. Chronological reading journals with Crusader Chronicles. Indexing forgotten TV shows, films, and serials with Saturday Matinee Theater. Pitting two randomly selected action films against one another. An action film face-off cataloging the Marvel run of the Transformers comic with Transformers Chronicles and whatever else the demented minds of Pat, Jared, Jason, and Delvin can come up with. If that sounds like it might be for you, be sure to subscribe to The Longbox Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much all reputable podcast feeds. Or check us out directly at www.longboxcrusade.com where we continue our quest to... Welcome back to the show. Let's hop into our DeLorean, get it up to 88 miles per hour, and man, will you see some happen. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to need therapy after this, son. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to talk about our memories of this game and what was going on in our lives in a segment called Save Point. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. 
remember some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the days when I was During our save point discussion, we'll give you some context for the time that our featured game was released by discussing video game news of that time, what was playing at the movies, and what were some of the chart-topping songs. And then we'll wrap it up with our personal memories surrounding Turtles in Time. So here are the video game events and notable releases for August 1992. And it was just, I was, I graduated in 1991. So I was free guy at this time. <laughs> just running around. Yeah. Slapping people just cause. Yeah. <laughs> I think I moved out so I could play video games whenever I wanted to. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> I think. Until the light bill came. <laughs> <laughs> I had to work a little bit, but you know, I still had time to play games. I remember that. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and find out some of that news. I'm going to start us off with Nintendo releases the Mario Paint video game and mouse controller for the Super NES in the U.S. Yeah, I remember that. I wasn't too into that. I wasn't really into it, but I still find it every once in a while. Yard sales novelty and it resells well. Midway Amusement Games released the Mortal Kombat video game version 1.0 in arcades across the United States, and the world would never be the same with those fights. Yeah, I didn't do that well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it caught it's on. kind of a bomb. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. <laughs> oh, man. When I first saw that game, which was in about 1992, I was just like, what is this? And, man, that game was cool. That game pissed me off. How so? Because I'm not good at it. I'm not good at those games. Oh, I'm Oh. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not good at these combo-y games. It makes me mad. I still have many of the finishing moves from that game memorized. I was decent at fighting games, but it just wasn't my thing. Mine was role-playing games and yep, swords or sorcery stuff. You two yep. should start yeah. a club. <laughs> we should. We should do an RPG club. Ooh. Yeah. We talk RPGs. Ooh, maybe I'll pick Welcome an RPG. RPG cast. <laughs> <laughs> In today's episode, <laughs> today's episode, I gained level three with <laughs> Trusty Paladin. <laughs> oh, save us, Joe. What's the next news of it? Uh, I'm going to save you with a cool one. So Nintendo releases the Kirby's Dreamland video game for the Game Boy in the U.S. So I never was really into any of the Kirby games much at all. So I probably passed on that when it came out. He's a cool character, but he just wasn't cool for me. I think when he was new, he was sort of soft and fluffy and pink. And I think we, a lot of us were like, it's a girl game. But man, you play those in retrospect. They are excellent games. The whole Kirby series is very good. Hmm. Well, well top selling Super Nintendo video game for the month in the U.S. was Street Fighter 2. Hadouken! Oh, man. Yeah. Another Everybody's playing that game. Not me. I suck at it. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at that one, too. <laughs> Speaking of top selling games, the best selling Nintendo Entertainment System, the OG Nintendo, for the month of August 92 was Tecmo Super Bowl. That's another fun game. <sighs> Oh my gosh. Seriously, that is how I learned the game of football by playing <laughs> this game. I, this is no lie. I, I think I'm learned with you. how to play football with this game. You know what? Guess what? You know I sucked at that too. Yeah, I sucked at it <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> First-hand experience. That was definitely a sleepover game oh, with yeah. uh, a couple of my buddies, David Garr and Brian Redmond. We spent multiple weekends just playing an entire season overnight, waking each other up when it's your turn to play so you can finish the season and then go into the playoffs. So like seven in the morning, somebody's playing in the Tecmo Super Bowl after we started like four in the afternoon. Now, I played more regular Tecmo Bowl, so I have a question for you about this Tecmo Super Bowl game. 
is Bo Jackson still the most powerful video game character of all time in Techno Super Bowl like he was in original Techno Bowl? <laughs> he was powerful, but there were other powerful players as well. I know I played mostly with San Francisco, so Joe Montana, you know, he could toss long bombs and they were always caught. Nobody fumbled his passes. <laughs> uh, Marcus Allen can go all up and down the screen and just chase anybody except for Bo Jackson. Nobody caught up with him. Video Bo, most powerful video game character of all time. Yeah, he was cool. Okay, so let's talk about the top-selling Game Boy video game for that month in the U.S., Super Mario Land. I did play this game. I did like this game a lot. It was definitely, anytime you had Super Mario anything back in the day, it mm-hmm. was going to make tons of money. Mm-hmm. And this was no exception. Oh, let's see. Top-selling Lynx video game in the U.S. was Steel Talons. Got nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, Lynx was a myth to me. I never mm, I heard about it. Won. <laughs> I own one and it never gets played. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know anything about Steel Talons. But I do know about the Sega Genesis. And I also know that the Sega Genesis was definitely the home for sports gamers. So it had come to no one's surprise that the top selling video game for August 1992 on the Genesis was NHLPA Hockey 93. And man, they yeah. had about a bazillion different sports games on the Genesis. It was a sports game lover's machine. And I did like those hockey games. It's popular even to this day. I think there even people have still have tournaments on this game. I have, uh, I don't remember which version I have, but I have an NHL something. It might be 93 on Sega CD. And man, mm. that is a go-to game for me because it's just like the other one, except it's because it's a CD. They've got like real crowd noise and stuff like that. So the sound is, is better. Okay. Oh, that's cool. For the Sega CD. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Let's talk about other obscure uh, <laughs> handheld games that I never had. <laughs> the top selling Game Gear video game for the month is Outrun Europa. Yeah. It's, wow. it's like uh, Outrun uh, with the little red car, except your tracks are now in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Nope, probably saw in Nintendo Power and or something. <laughs> that was about it. Game Gear Power. <laughs> Game Gear Power. <laughs> it wasn't think... a magazine, it was a booklet. <laughs> a little pamphlet with like one a little pamphlet. in it. <laughs> So the top-selling TurboGrafx-16 game was Cosmic Fantasy 2. Cosmic yeah. Fantasy 2. I bet that's worth a pretty penny. Yeah. It's an RPG, isn't it? It is. Cosmic oh. Fantasy. I saw a movie on Cinemax called Cosmic Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what happened to my TurboGrafx-16, but I still got some games. So either it's at my parents' house yet or somewhere. I have to dig it up. That's cool, man. Nice. Yeah. Let's go ahead and hear about the top three grossing films of the time. Jared, take it away. All right. The number three top grossing film in August of 92 was Honeymoon in Vegas. And that's got Nick Cage, Sarah Jessica Parker, and James Caan. I've seen it a few times, and it's an enjoyable little film. I remember seeing that. I think I've seen it in the theaters back then. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I think I probably saw it like on home video or HBO or something like that. Everybody remembers the skydiving Elvises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, you know what? I think I actually got the soundtrack to Honeymoon in Vegas. They had some good songs on there. I'll tell you what I'm wondering is... <laughs> What is the number two movie 
of August of 1992. I am glad you asked that question. So the number two movie of August of 1992 was Single White Female. And this was a drama thriller movie that starred Bridget Fonda and Jennifer Jason Leigh, Stephen Weber, and Peter Friedman. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I think I saw it on HBO as well. It's probably one of those movies where I was like, eh... I'd like to see it. The plot doesn't do it for me. But the budget to create the film was $16 million, but it made $48 million in the box office. Moving on to better movies, what was the number? <laughs> <laughs> well, the number one movie at this time was Unforgiven. Uh, That's a Western, I think. Clint yes, Eastwood. it is. It won Best Picture that year. Yeah. yeah, it did. Was Morgan Freeman that was in that with him? Richard. Yes. Richard Harris, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman. There you yeah. go. It's good. I probably haven't seen it in geez, 20 years. I need a refresh on that. But it made, God bless, it made almost 160 mil in the box office. Now let's go ahead and see what the top three songs were that were being played on your favorite pop radio station during August of 1992. Jer, start us off with number three. Number three song is Madonna singing Ooh. Used to Be My Playground. This used to be my playground. This used to be my childhood Remember that song, and it's okay. I have plenty yeah. of Madonna songs I like better, but it's not a bad little tune. I had to think about how it went. I don't remember that song. Yeah. You'll know it when I edit it in. <laughs> uh, I'm super jealous of Joe for the number two song. Oh, yeah. Joe's got a good one. I mean, look at Joe's choice. It's just so uh, big and out there. I mean, gosh. <laughs> it's just like, oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> So if you can't tell by now, the number two song that was very popular at the time was Sir Mix-A-Lot's Baby Got Back. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. Yeah, when a girl walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. Wanna pull up tough, cause you notice that butt was stuck. Deep in the jeans she's wearing. I'm hooked and I can't stop staring. Oh, Wow, did this song carry itself over time? It was saying your anaconda don't want none. It does not. <laughs> it actually was number one for five weeks, and it knocked off uh, Mariah Carey and Boyz II Men off the charts, which is crazy. And another little tidbit: Sir Mix-a-Lot had a girlfriend at the time that he actually wrote the song for, and she you could actually hear her say the Oh My God Becky intro, and she helped him write the song, and they were together for like eight or nine years. Wow. My only addendum to this is everybody knows that song, but most people don't really dive in deeper to the Sir Mix-a-Lot universe, except for my musical genius friend Joe November, who's deep, deep in the world of hip-hop, and he introduced me to one of the greatest jams ever by Sir Mix a lot called Buttermilk Biscuits. Biscuits. Y'all ready to get busy? Now, buttermilk biscuits, here we go. Sip the flour, roll it go. Clap your hands and stomp your feet. Move your butt to the funky beat. Buttermilk biscuits. Then buttermilk biscuits. Buttermilk biscuits. Oh, 
yes. Here we go. Joe introduced me to that song in oh, yeah. 2000. <laughs> well, where did he come up with that concept? That's I, it's it just so blows me wild. Away. It is wild, but it sounds so good. You just can't help but nod your head to it. Yeah. <laughs> and the other classic he had on the album was My Posse's on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That one's a My huge My Posse's change. on Broadway. Larry's the white mm-hmm. guy. People think he's funny. A real estate investor who makes a, lot, a of lot of money. Clocking lots of dollars. <laughs> Takes me back to my Yo MTV days. Oh, when they actually played videos? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the number one song for August of 1992 was End of the Road by Boys to Men. talent show somebody was singing the damn song <laughs> everybody thought they were just let's this is, go it's a natural I'll break it down guys break it down for the boys girl <laughs> you know oh you my goodness into the road <laughs> Joe was trying to make it how to get out of here <laughs> Are we going to need to go back? Sell, sell, sell. You know, baby, it's up to you. I don't need no backseat driver. Just tell me, where do you want to go when we get to the angry road? Are you still going? Nonstop. Yeah, that was a great, great ballad for that time. If memory serves me, is that the one that wasn't actually on any of their major albums? You had to get it off like the Boomerang soundtrack? Well, there was that one song that wasn't on Cooley High Harmony or Boys to Men 2. I think the only way to get it was the Boomerang soundtrack. Boomerang. You might be right about was that. Was it Boomerang or was it the it was More Money? No, it was definitely Boomerang. I remember that. But yeah, you're right. I think it was just off the soundtrack and not off their one of their main albums. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't know that, baby. <laughs> didn't Dracula come out at that time? Yeah, that's in that ballpark. Yeah, because this was like right before my junior year in high school, around this time. So I guess we're getting to the next segment, talking about standout <laughs> personal memories. Good job. Good job, Joe. <laughs> there you go, Joe. All right. Speaking yeah. about standout personal memories, anything on your mind, Joe, that you want to tell us about surrounding? I see August of 92. Yeah, I was starting my junior year. I was deep into band and basketball and just learning the hip-hop culture back then. Such an odd time, especially where I grew up in Kentucky because we didn't really hear anything or get anything until like weeks after it was released. I do remember that Dr. Dre was pretty popular back then. Mm. The Chronic. Everybody loved listening to that and bumping that. Jared? August 92, I just moved on the son of a military man. We were at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We just moved down here to Fort Rucker, Alabama, which I still live here to this day. It's like a black hole or something. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I just started this new high school down here, kind of getting to know all the new folks, and uh, it was a very pleasant time in my life. I started working at the Army Aviation Museum on Fort Rucker. What a great job for a high school kid, you know? Mm. Work at a museum and 
That was pretty cool. I have very fond memories of my high school times. What about you, Pat? I was out of high school at this time, uh, just starting my first year of being out. I was out on my own. I got an apartment with two other guys. On my own. This isn't how love was supposed to be. (laughs) On my own once again. Working hard and spending the money. I Where were you working? Remember? Oh, boy. Uh, washing cars. <laughs> Please play car washing. In the- <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I made a, some pretty decent money. Yes, you can. Then. You can be was- an Indian chief if you play a car, <laughs> according to the song. <laughs> <laughs> and just got to work and work. And work. <laughs> Yeah, but that's where I was. I think just hanging out with friends, you know, out of high school and starting to become a, a big boy, hitting the real life there. Nice. Having sleepovers with the turtles. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's excellent. I'm glad we all have positive memories that time, except for Joe, who was in a time warp and couldn't get things until weeks after they came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how I was back then. I was in rural Alabama, man. And I guess you don't know what you don't know, right? So maybe that's true. Maybe things were coming out I had no clue about. Yeah. I do remember being a young adult and people were like, oh, yeah, we had this and we had that. And like this came out. And I remember during that time frame was just like, I heard about none of that stuff. It just felt <laughs> like I was in a fishbowl, man. <laughs> that's not, but that's one of the things I really loved about being in the military is just that exposure to other people and other cultures mm-hmm. that really, really helped open my eyes to the world that we live in and just wasn't just what I knew in small town Kentucky. Well, that's cool. And you know what? As we bring the show to a close today, we've got to give special shout outs to our Crusader Club members. These Woo-hoo. are the fine folks that are now entered into our quarterly drawings to win free swag. That includes lots of different stuff. We're talking DVDs, CDs, these nuts, comics, arts, prints. You've heard the spiel before. We give away a lot of stuff. A and lot of nuts stuff. too. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? They also get discounts from my online store, which is the yard sale artist.bigcartel.com. So if you need some original artwork, stop by and see me. And of course, you get early access to special long box episodes. So these are the fine folks that are reaping those benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. Dave Collins. Blast it or stash it. Gene Gene Hendricks. Ivan the Collector. Ivor Evans. Hey, I know this guy. Joe Thomas. Hey. It's a witness protection name if I ever heard of it. Ixnay on the OJ. (laughs) (laughs) Maxwell Traver. Mr. Lobotomy. Ross Michaud. Ronald Went. Tim. Bob Busta. Steve Cronin. Samantha Manny. Toronto Cop. And if we miss anyone on our list, we apologize. But keep in mind, we record these episodes well in advance of release. So if you're a recent addition, we should be adding you soon. But still, no worries. You can just let us know that we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'll get it straightened out. You might be asking yourself, how do I become a Crusaders Club member? Well, Jared, how do I? Well, I'm glad you asked, Pat, because it's simple. You just head over to patreon.com and search for the keyword Longbox Crusade for as little as a dollar a month. Is that a typo, Pat? No, it's not, Jared. I can't believe it. <laughs> Jeez, a dollar it's crazy. a month? Whoa. You get access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club, and we're giving away prizes, and we're releasing special episodes, and we're just doing all kinds of fun stuff. Buck a month, man. You can't beat that. So come check it out. You know, it, it, it won't be a surprise to you guys, but I'd buy that for a dollar. For a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? If you don't have any extra scratch laying around, but you still want to help us out here at Long Box Crusade Headquarters, please take a moment to write a review on iTunes for this podcast. Even if you just want to keep it short with star ratings, it helps raise the profile of the show. We greatly appreciate it. Pat, why don't you give these folks a reminder of how they get in touch with us if they want to chat about the show or any shows in the Long Box Crusade umbrella? Well, Jared, you can find any of our many fine programs on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers, or at www.longboxcrusade.com. You can email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com or hit us up on our social media sites on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Longbox Crusade. And if you want to interact with us with live chat and be entered into win some of the free stuff of our live raffles, join us on the next episode of Doing It Live Stream over on our YouTubes. We do them on the second Sunday of every month, and we always start at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. You can get signed up for that by looking up Longbox Crusade on YouTube. Please subscribe to our channel and click the bell so you'll get a reminder notification for when we go live. Excellent, excellent. And I want to thank the team for being here. Here's where you can find us on the internet. Pat, where can they find you if they want to chat with you personally? You can look me up on the Twitter at Christatos01. Joe, where can they find you? So I'm on SoundCloud as well as Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99. And you can find me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at Yard Sale Artist. And seriously, folks, check out that SoundCloud because Joe oh, does yeah, some definitely. really cool stuff. Thanks, guys. And hey, if you're one of our podcast maker listener friends, if that made any sense, fellow podcasters would have probably been shorter. Uh, anyway, if, <laughs> if you're one of our fellow podcasters and you're like, hey, you know what? I could use a really cool intro theme or outro theme or something like that. I'm betting you could hire this man to get you something really cool like you hear on our show. Yes, sir. He accepts money. <laughs> Not cupcakes. Money. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, and we hope you'll continue to join us as we go on a crusade to play them all. Play them all. I missed it. Just say play them all. Play them all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my wife was yelling at me. Oh, that's what I heard. I couldn't tell if that was something in my house or... (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to podcast. (laughs) It's the best part. I'll bring up the chicken from the freezer later. (laughs) See these nuts, Pat. See these nuts. I don't. I can't see them. Joke stands the test of time. Turn my camera on real quick. (laughs) (laughs) No. Welcome to Mix-A-Lot Cast, episode one. (laughs) (laughs) What's the safe word? Uh, Safe word is pineapple. (laughs) It's mode seven. (laughs) It's mode seven. (laughs) Maybe you go for a little seafood and you get some, uh, you know, clams or something like that with a shell or something you can. On the half shell? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ah, I took it too too far. (laughs) I took it too far. All right, you're fired. Pat's no longer on the show. It's just me and Joe from here on it. Okay, good. Bye. See you guys later. They're the heroes for In this day and age Who could ask for more The crime wave is high With muggings mysterious All police and detectives Are furious Cause they can't
can't find the source of this lethally evil force. This is serious, so give me a quarter. I was a witness. Get me a reporter. Call it.